Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, as I get going here this morning, I wonder how many times uh, there have been situations in your life where you've had something that you really disliked a lot, and something happened over the course of time, and that sort of changed. Uh, for me, one of those things that always comes to mind is sushi. Uh, there was, I hated sushi the first time I tried it. Man, my, I remember my sister and brother-in-law actually, like, they're like, you got to try sushi. And so I tried sushi, and I don't, I don't know if it was just bad sushi or what, but I was like, this is awful. Do you hate me? Um, why are you making me try this? And then I was on a missions trip with a buddy, and he's like, no, you need to, you need to try it here. And I think we were in Spain or something like that. And I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. And the stuff was like this mouth-watering goodness. And so now at least I'm willing to try sushi. So there was a change that took place. For me, there's a lot of athletes that I, I'll either start by disliking them and, and maybe I change to liking them, or uh, I start liking them and after a while, they just kind of sour on me, and I don't like them. One of the ones, and I, I probably mentioned this before, but Kobe Bryant, I used to cheer against that guy, like, religiously. Couldn't stand him winning basketball games, especially titles. And something in the last few years of his life, uh, last few years even of his career, I don't know, I don't even know what it was, but there was something I just started to admire about the guy. And change is one of those, it's a really good thing for us to experience. I think being willing to change and, and, a, and having the ability to change, it is a great thing for every single one of us. Um, I got to say, uh, some, some, things, some things maybe shouldn't change. There are certain styles that probably should not change. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know why we're, we're getting back to the whole, you know, party, party in the back and business in the front stuff. Uh, I, I had a mullet when I was five. I'm not going to lie. Um, my... My sister actually, uh, she, she curled my hair one time uh, the, right in the back on the long part before I went to church in the morning, and she, she burnt me with a curling iron also, I want to say that. But it was just, I don't know why, and I, the problem with me is I'm always like five years after style, okay? I was wearing really big baggy shorts until about this last summer, and now I realize, oh, that's not cool anymore, and so I, I changed, and I got all new shorts. Um, but that means about five years from now, you're going to come to church, and I'm going to have a mullet probably. Um, and it's going to be ugly. I'm just telling you, it's going to be ugly. Man, but without change, there's no progress, right? Without change, uh, there's no technological innovation. There's no personal development. We need change in life. And something changed in an awesome way when we started sending people to the moon. Um, it's as though these guys went up to the moon thinking that they were going to be simply exploring the moon. But something happened when we looked at Earth from the moon. Something really cool happened. And there's this, this really famous picture. You're going to see it up on the screen here. Uh, this, this picture is called Earthrise. And that was taken by one of the, one of the guys on the Apollo 8 mission. Uh, his name was William Anders. And here's what he said. He said, we went on Apollo 8 to explore the moon, but instead we discovered the Earth. And there was a lot of people that saw that picture and, and their mindset, their, their understanding of, of our world, it, it changed. Because when you're on earth and you look up at the moon on a, on a beautiful starry night and you look at the moon and the moon can be the most gorgeous thing that you've ever seen. Or uh, 
you take, a, you take the sun. Now, the sun is kind of bright, so you shouldn't look at it at certain times of the day for sure, but on a sunrise, sunset, you can see this, the beauty of the sun. But both of the, the moon and the sun from earth probably don't look quite as beautiful as what, the, what our planet looks like when you're looking at it from the moon. It's this crazy beauty. One of the astronauts put it this way. Earth was the only thing that had any color in it. And so this actually changed the way that these astronauts saw our world that they lived on and just how absolutely gorgeous and beautiful it is, this place that God, that God put us on. And you, you probably kind of you probably kind of know a little bit where I'm going with this already. Uh, just like just like we can have our, our our mindset changed about our world, looking at it from the moon. Jesus does that for us. Uh, in a world where there is just complete dimness all around us and lack of color, Jesus is the thing that we look at, and there's this beauty. There's this color. The problem is, is a lot of times we don't see Jesus from the right angle. We don't see Jesus from the correct perspective. And so all the change that Jesus could bring into our lives, we don't get that change because we haven't really come to know the Jesus that is in Scripture. And so as we're talking through this, this series, this not perfect series, today we're talking about not perfect but changed. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at the lives of two different men from the New Testament. Lives of, of, these, of these two men who were absolutely changed. They were changed in different ways, but they were changed by their connection to Jesus. They both had pretty close connection with Jesus in, in, in one way, shape, or form. And they were changed. But I also want you to realize they were changed in different ways. They were changed at different speeds. They were changed even for a little bit different purposes. And, and, and remember the, the whole speed part, because sometimes we expect people to just automatically get into this thing where, where Jesus has changed their life exactly the way Jesus has changed my life. And Jesus works at us at different speeds, and that's okay. And you're going to see that with these two guys. Um, but here's something to, to really keep in mind as we're, as we're talking through these, these guys' stories. Think through what was it that finally brought about the change that mattered in all the right ways. What was the thing that finally got them to that place where, where they experienced change? And I think it'd be good for us to know that because uh, every single one of us, we're trying to get to that place. We're trying to get to that place where, where we are changed in all the right ways, the, way that, the ways that Jesus wants us to be changed. How do we get there? And so that the, the small study that we're going to do on, on these two guys today, they're two guys by the name of Peter and Paul. And if you know anything about the New Testament, these guys are, they're probably 1A and 1B in terms of, of the main characters outside of Jesus in the New Testament. And both of these guys, they come from very different walks of life. But in the end, they kind of end up in very similar roles in the mission that they have for Jesus. Now Peter, uh, Peter was nothing more really than a fisherman. He was really good at his craft, but he was a fisherman. We don't really know of any kind of unique sort of teaching that he had been exposed to as a younger man. He was a fisherman. Jesus came one day and called out to him and to a couple others, hey, I want you to come follow me. And he got up out of his boat, and he started following this, this rather unconventional Jewish rabbi around. For three years, he followed Jesus around. Now, Paul had a completely different kind of upbringing. Actually, he, he talks about his, the, how he was kind of raised through the religious, 
world in Acts chapter 22. This is what Paul says. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. In in other words, I persecuted those following Jesus. Arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And now Jesus goes on to, to he's, he tells him eventually, hey, you're, you're going to change your name from Saul to Paul. And, and now after you leave this road, I want you to go into the city of Damascus and you're going to find a guy named Ananias. And, and he's, going to, he's, going to, he's going to pray for you and the, the scales are going to fall from your eyes and he's going to tell you about the way of Jesus. And Paul went from this crazy devotion to this religion that he was following to a T to the point that he was having Christians killed to becoming one of the most outspoken Christians that we've ever seen. This man who had been devoutly, a devoutly religious Jew, had been changed. So much so that this is what it says at the end of this passage that we were just reading through. Acts twenty two twenty one says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Understand that this, that statement right there, when, when Paul heard that statement, it had to have been surprising to him, to say the least. Paul, who was a, a Jewish religious leader, He wanted nothing to do with Gentiles, people who are not Jewish. And now all of a sudden, this this Jesus who's spoken to him from this bright light is telling him, you're going to go and you're going to tell people about me. But those people that you're going to tell, they're going to be Gentiles. And Paul actually went and did it. This dude has gone from killing or seeing to the death of Christians, to now going to people who he didn't even like before, and he's telling them about Jesus. This is, this is an absolutely crazy change that has taken place in the life of Paul. As crazy as his change was, uh, Peter's change, it, it actually from the get-go didn't look as crazy as Paul's change did. All right, Paul went from all of this stuff we just talked about to writing about a third of the New Testament which is just a crazy change. But Peter, it was different. Peter's change was a little bit more like a long, slow drip. How many of you have ever, it's been, you know, you look back about five years in the past and you're like, man, I'm a different person than I was. But day by day by day, you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel and experience any change whatsoever. This happens obviously with our kids. The relatives come and visit and they're like, oh, your kids are so big. And I'm like, um, are you looking at Finley? She's still really tiny. Um, the, the, the change that we see, it's, it's slower. And, and the change for Peter was actually a lot slower than the change for Paul. Uh, now, so what, what's similar? Both Peter and Paul had their name changed by Jesus. Peter was once named Simon, and Jesus changes it to Peter, he said, which means the rock. He's like, you're going to be the rock of the church. Um, he, he believed that Peter had something important to do. And there were some actual 
early highlights in Peter's ministry with Jesus. Uh, Peter was the first one of all the disciples to, to say to Jesus, I know who you are. I know you're the Son of God. Matthew 16, 16, he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now this was like, this was the early highlight moment for Peter. Everybody's like, wow, Peter, you, you really get this stuff. But do you realize later on in that same chapter, Matthew 16, Jesus was actually telling his disciples, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be going into Jerusalem soon, and I'm going to suffer a lot of things, and I'm going to die there. And Peter showed us how much he didn't get things. It says, verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You, have, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus has gone from like, hey, Peter, good job. You know who I am to you're Satan. This is the craziest turn that you see in Scripture probably at all. Uh, Peter does not seem to always have it figured out. It's like he has the Jesus thing half figured out all the time. Anybody else ever feel like that? I have this Jesus thing halfway figured out, but I don't get it completely. I, I, I've, I'm experiencing change, but it's so slow that it's like I don't even see myself as different. And there's a lot of other areas in Scripture where we see this with Peter, this sort of awesomeness, yet foolishness. The, the time that we probably see it the most is where Jesus is up in this upper room with his disciples, and he's about to be killed, and He's telling these disciples, hey, just so you guys know, you guys are all going to turn away from me tonight. And Peter, like he always is, is like, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. He actually says this, Matthew 26. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you are going to disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. If you know the story at all, you know how foolish that was. Because the story went down exactly the way that Jesus said it was going to go down. A little girl comes up to Peter and is like, aren't you with him? And he's like, no. Get away from me, little tiny girl. I'm scared of you and what you might do. Peter never fully could get it. And yet after Jesus died and, and rose from the dead, he came and he was hanging out with people every now and then. And one of those instances, he meets Peter on a shoreline. And on that shoreline, there's this beautiful interaction between Peter and Jesus. Where Jesus tells him, asks him, do you love me? And he says, go feed my sheep. This is a moment where, where Jesus was forgiving Peter. But then he's also telling him, even though you're a mess up, I want you to go and feed my sheep. I want you to go and tell people about me. And the the weird thing is, so he sent Paul to the Gentiles, but he sent Peter to the Jews to go and tell the Jews about him. Not long after Jesus ascended up into heaven, people are watching and Jesus goes, literally just goes into heaven. Peter and, and some of his, his friends, they go up into this upper room and they're praying. And as they're praying, the Holy Spirit descends on them in, in a powerful way. And what happens is Peter, this guy who couldn't even stand up for Jesus a little while ago, he now goes in front of thousands of people and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the news about Jesus. And 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. Do you start to see the change that's taken place in Peter? He's gone from this weakling who doesn't get it half the time to now he's got it. Or so we think. Because Peter still doesn't get it completely. I told you that he was sent to the Jews 
to tell people about Jesus. And the problem is, is there was still something inside of Peter that thought it was just the Jews that the message of God was for. Acts 10, Peter goes up on a roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What's happening here is God is trying to kind of get out of Peter this idea that there are impure and unclean people that, that don't deserve to hear about God. And at this very moment, while Peter is trying to figure out what this vision is all about, some Gentiles come to his door. And to Peter's credit, he welcomes it in, and then he goes with them the next day. And, and later on, it, it says this in Acts 10. You are well aware, Peter says, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. It took so long for Peter to figure this stuff out. This guy who had walked around with Jesus for three whole years and seen how Jesus loved everybody, how Jesus actually went to the the hardest people to love. He went to, to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the cheats. And he couldn't figure out that Jesus was calling him to love everybody. It took so long for Peter to figure out what this change looked like. And again, I ask you, isn't that the story of every single one of us? Isn't that the story, always needing to grow again and again, over and over? And I don't know if if you're like me, but there's things that I learn, and then it's like I forget about it, and I have to relearn, and it's really hard. I don't like being told things by my wife over and over again of how I need to improve myself. But it happens. I'm sure that Paul also had to grow every single day after he got to know who Jesus was. But with Paul, we see more of an immediate change. He went from this awful guy killing, having Christians killed to his life was changed. And Peter was walking with Jesus every day, and it's like that change took a while. I was talking about this with a buddy just this week, uh, this kind of thing. He was talking about a friend who had come out of some crazy lifestyle stuff and given his life to Jesus. And, and the, the change in his life was just immediate. And yet my friend was like, you know, I, when I gave my life to Jesus, like it was, yeah, it was a change, but it wasn't like this crazy immediate change, I didn't feel like. And th- that's honestly my story. My story is I remember the day, 1985, Valentine's Day. I remember praying and asking Jesus into my heart. I was four years and 15 days old. Remember like it was yesterday. But I'm telling you what. I didn't, it wasn't like this bright light shined down on me and it was like, oh my goodness, I am changed, mom and dad. I was still doing the same stuff. I wasn't that much different. And what I've realized is that I've had to learn how deep and how wide and how amazing the grace of Jesus is. It wasn't like I was just saved out of, at four years old, there's not a ton of sin that you really, that's got to be really extracted, except for like, Mom, I don't like you right now. Like, okay, let's work on that, Kellen. 
But the change just wasn't this crazy immediate change. It was a lot like Peter's. And I'm going to tell you what, sometimes that kind of change is, is actually a little bit more difficult. That change that's a process can be really, really difficult because we don't see ourselves as in need of the change all that much because I'm not that bad. So Jesus changing us in those, in those circumstances can be hard. Whether it's the roadside conversion where you're lifted out of all this stuff and all of a sudden changed, or it's that process change. My thing that I want to get across to us today is Jesus means to change everything in our lives. You look at it for Peter and for Paul, he changed everything for them. He changed their minds, he changed their desires, he changed their relationships, he changed their purpose, he changed their identities. Everything was changed. And all those, power, all those changes are really powerful, but I think the thing that is most powerful that, that God wants to change and that we see in the lives of Peter and Paul is this. Jesus changed them from following a religion to following Jesus in relationship. He took them out of religion and he brought them into relationship with Jesus. Now Paul, and more accurately Saul, because that's who he was at this point, he was steeped deeply in religion. This religion that made him think that he was not just okay, but he was actually better than everybody else. That's an ugly religion to have inside of you. Jesus showed him that it was actually only Jesus who could make Paul right in any way. Now Peter, Peter might have had an even more scary scenario of what his religion was looking like. It's a religion that I think maybe a lot of us, we find in ourselves at times. It's, that, it's this religion like he was, he was with Jesus, so I'm all good. I'm okay. Everything that I think is right because I'm, Jesus asked me to come and follow him. Like I must have this together. Now it sounds good to be in Peter's spot where he's, his religion is I'm with Jesus. That sounds good. But he had not totally grasped the true heart of Jesus. And I wonder sometimes, uh, even for those of us who we come into church every single week, have, have I actually worked to try to grasp the heart of who Jesus is? Or am I living with this idea that I'm okay just because I'm, I'm with Jesus? Here's what I want to propose to us right now. We all have a religion that we're living out if we're not careful. And Jesus aims to change that religion. He aims to change whatever religion you have into a relationship with him. I think that's what, what God wants for us more than anything else, to take the religion and to extract it and to give us a relationship with him. Now, you might, you might be like, Kellen, I thought religion was really, I thought it was a good thing. Like, isn't that what it is all about coming into a church? I've said this before, I'll say this a lot of times as your preacher. The, the person that, the people that Jesus scolded the most were the religious people. It was the people who, they, they thought that they had it all together, that they, were, that they were God's chosen people. Those were the people that Jesus actually scolded the most. And I think there's three variations of religion that I want to I talk about as, as we're wrapping up that I think are most important that we need to, to be mindful of that I think God wants to kind of take out of our lives. Okay, the religion that keeps us away from the change that God wants for us is this. The religion of I'm good enough, the religion of religion, and then the religion of I'm with Jesus, but I don't really know him. 
Those are the three religions I think that, that as I was working through this, that I think God wants to, to, to take us away from. So we're going to take a quick look at all these, and, and I think if you're like me, you're going to find a little bit of yourself in every single one of them. I am in every one of these religions. So the first one, the religion of I'm good enough. Let me be really honest with you for just a minute on this one. This phrase, I'm good enough, is not a phrase that goes along with the gospel of Jesus Christ in any way. I'm good enough is not part of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is I'm not good enough. There is only one who is actually good enough, and that is Christ. Jesus alone is good enough. And, and he actually came to die for me because I couldn't be good enough. We simply cannot be good enough, so Jesus was good on our behalf. And there are so many times where I'm talking with people, and I'm asking them, like, what, what is your relationship with God? How, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? That kind of, that kind of stuff. And it's amazing how often the, the question is answered in a way that is nothing what the Bible looks like. In fact, I'll even say this. There are a lot of times talking with people in church where, hey, what's your relationship with God? How, how do you know you're in, in a good place with God? And the question oftentimes can come down to, you know, I'm, I'm a really good person and I, I think that God sees all the good that I've done. That is the religion of I'm good enough. That is the religion of our culture. That is the religion of following culture. That is the religion of I'm better than what the culture is. We are not called to look at the culture to decide how we're supposed to live for Jesus. The culture doesn't dictate that. The word of God dictates that. That's the only, that's the only thing that we have to stand on. And so if I'm looking at this, at my life and saying I'm good enough, I'm looking at culture and I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm just as good as anybody out there. That's not good enough. The religion of I'm good enough is not good enough. Only Jesus is good enough. His grace is the thing that makes us good. His grace is a gift to us, something that we can't have on our own. Okay, so religion of I'm good enough. The second one is this, the religion of religion. And this is the one that we see predominantly in Paul today. Uh, Paul was as religious as anyone could, could possibly be. But his religion was also defined on one thing predominantly, and it was this. It was heartless self-righteousness. Paul had no heart for people. He was completely self-righteous in everything that he did. I should say Saul was. Once he turned over to Paul, it was, he was pretty good. The religion of religion is never about Jesus. The religion of religion is about rules. And I'll say this. There are times where that becomes what we do in the church world. It's more about, well, you're not like this, so you're obviously not where you're supposed to be. Paul didn't have grace when he was Saul for the people who were being changed by God with the slow drip. My question for you is, do you have do you have grace for the people who are being changed by God with that slow drip? Or are you expecting the immediate change? Immediate change isn't every time how it looks. The religion of religion kind of doesn't like Jesus. Here's the thing. Jesus is a wild card. Jesus loved all the hardest people that there were to love. The religion of religion doesn't like that Jesus because it means that I have to love people with grace no matter what. That's a hard thing 
for people living out the religion of religion. Paul's change was immediate because he made a quick jump from seeing himself as righteous to realizing that he was lost and he was in need of a savior. That was the only thing that brought that immediate change to Paul. He realized, man, I'm, I, I'm not okay doing all the things that I thought was what I was supposed to do. And I need Jesus. It's important to ask yourself this morning, are you falling into this religion of religion at all? When you see people, do you have heartless judgment over them? Everything that you are, are, are looking at them, you're judging them over every single aspect of it. Well, maybe, maybe you're struggling with that religion of religion. Has grace touched your heart in such a way that you see yourself just as broken and just as needy as the people that you're looking at thinking are broken? Okay, so covered two of the religions. The religion of I'm good enough, the religion of religion. Let's look at the third one. The religion of I'm with Jesus, but I don't really know him. This one sounds like a terrifying place to be. You know, there's, there's a place in Scripture where Jesus actually says there are people who are going to do awesome things and they're going to say, Jesus, what about us? And he's going to say, I never knew you. That's a freaky, that's a freaky passage to hear. But I also think let's, let's give ourselves a little bit of grace, okay? The Bible also is clear that we are not going to know Jesus fully until the day we die and see Jesus face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We will know Jesus fully when we see him face to face. Until that day, we are like Peter. And we are constantly in this place of we're having to grow with that slow drip. Let Jesus change us little by little. He, Peter lived with Jesus for three full years. And he still didn't get it. He was literally one of Jesus' best friends. Probably his best friend, maybe, maybe the second best friend, I don't know. But he was really close to Jesus. And he still did not understand Jesus fully. He didn't get Jesus' purpose completely. He hung out with Jesus and considered himself the inner circle with Jesus. And yet he remained kind of clueless. But here's something that I think we need to remember about Peter. While he was clueless, while he was foolish, there was never one moment in all of his time with Jesus where Jesus kicked him out of the inner circle. There was never a moment where Jesus had, had, had so much annoyance with him that he's like, Peter, you're just never going to get this. There was always grace. As Peter learned more and more what the true heart of Jesus actually looked like, he began to look more and more like the person that Jesus always knew that he could be. Jesus saw the potential. He knew the potential. And he allowed for the slow drip of change to take place. Sometimes you are going to be like Peter. Sometimes you're not going to get it all the time. Sometimes you're going to make huge mistakes. You're going to feel like an imposter. And Jesus will do everything he can to once again come beside you and gently guide you into the change that he's asking you to make. He will come aside and he will, he will, he will lead you and guide you through that change. The truth is, it is likely that every single one of us has change that needs to be made. I know I do. I've got a lot of change that needs to be made. I, it always comes down to the road, you guys. Driving on a road. 
This week, I made a couple mistakes, okay? And then I got mad at somebody because he was mad because somebody wasn't moving on a green light. And he had his hand out the window, he was relaxing, and he did this. And I got annoyed with him. I said, why would you get so annoyed? It's been like one second. Abby looked over at me and she's like, whatever, Dad. You're worse than that. And I said, you're grounded. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. Jesus wants us to experience change. And here's the thing. There is power in Jesus to bring real and lasting change to your life. There is power in Jesus to bring change. And some of you might be in this place where you're like, I've been, I've been hoping and, and, and believing that Jesus could change me and it's just not happening. Keep walking. Keep walking with Jesus. Maybe pick up your Bible every now and then if you don't. Let Jesus speak to you a little bit. Spend some time in prayer if that's not something that you're used to doing. How can we expect Jesus to change us if we don't actually hang out with Jesus and get to know the person of who Jesus is? It took Peter every day with Jesus for three full years and he still didn't know him. So we have to spend time with Jesus. We have to get to know who he is. I mentioned a guy named Jack Klumpenhauer, which is the greatest last name in the history of the world, last week uh, during my message. And he, he wrote this fantastic book that you should read called Show Them Jesus. And in it, he was talking about this Sunday school teacher named Joe and how Joe would, would do, did this amazing job of showing kids who Jesus is. And this is what he writes. He said, The message of Jesus' death and resurrection is a tool of the Spirit to change hearts. Nagging is not. Rather than coax the kids into temporarily acting better, Joe told about Jesus and trusted God to use the message to make kids become better. It is Jesus who will make us become better. And there are so many young people, there are so many adults who are giving up on God. And the question is, why is that happening? And I think a lot of the reason is this. People are not seeing the power of God to bring change into people's lives. Jack goes on to write this. These kids actually have good reasons to quit. They look back and realize that they learned much about Christian behavior and churchy experiences, but, they, but whatever they learned about Jesus didn't really change them. They never saw him so strikingly that he became their one overriding hope and their greatest love. They were never convinced that Jesus is better, a zillion times better than anything and everything else. I'm telling you, Jesus does have the power to change us. If he can change Paul, he can change you. If he can change Peter, he can change you. I don't know what it is in your life that maybe you're, you're wanting God to come in and, and kind of disrupt. But sometimes we just have to ask God to bring change. If you're going through the same things that you've been going through for such a long time, God, I've been, I've been wanting to change for so long and it's not happening. We need to find ways to depend on God for that change. We are not going to bring that change ourselves. The key is getting to know the real Jesus. The more that you get to know the real Jesus, the more that you will start to become like that real Jesus. Peter and Paul were changed to the degree at which they knew who Jesus was. Once they figured it out, that's where the change came in. And I want you to ask yourself this. If I'm not experiencing healthy change right now, what am I missing in my view of who Jesus is? 
Are you content with the kind of beautiful change that Jesus is bringing to your life day by day, week by week, this year from last year? And if you're not, I want to suggest one thing this morning. You need to keep searching for the real Jesus. There is no change that's going to happen in our lives that is of value unless it's change that's come directly from Jesus. So, this morning, let's ask Jesus. Let's ask Jesus to bring us change. We are not called to be people that live the same way that we lived when we found Jesus. We're called to be people of change. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.